0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Debrief podcast by Lethal Minds Journal. I'm your host, Nate Gladden, Master Sergeant Nate Gladden, United States Air Force, and I'm really excited about this podcast episode, and I'm also excited to tell you about who it's brought by. That's FieldSeats.com, which is an e-commerce federally licensed firearms dealer. They provide virtual reviews on brand new firearms, optics, and gear, where at the end of the review, they give away the item being reviewed to an attendee. Guess what? That means you, because you're actually the attendee. So... They've got uh, reviews that range twenty dollars, right? Maybe it's on, uh, maybe it's on something like a uh, like a Smith and Wesson M and P Shield two point uh, Maybe you got sixty dollars on a Trishakon ACOG with RMR. Uh, but each review has limited seating, so your chances of winning the uh, the giveaway are that much higher. I don't know about you, I'm a big fan of a giveaway because that means you gave it to me. That's wonderful. Anyways, please go check out FieldSeats.com, purchase your reviews, and enter to win the item being reviewed. Review- and just use the code LethalMinds. If you listen to this, you're a lethal mind, so go ahead, put it in there, 10% off your order, not bad. Check them out on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, at Field underscore Seats, and that's what I have for you today from FieldSeats.com. Now this episode, Cognitive Ripples, and let me just explain to you, this is a treat. So what do I mean by Cognitive Ripples, right, and what does Cognitive Marine mean by uh, this, And You know, we talked about near peer. We talked about the next fight. We talked about that uh, in round one. This one is about leadership, but I'm not talking about just like, oh, well, you have to be a good leader. And and, uh, Cognom Marine even says it in there. He's like, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to give 110% and I'll do. No, 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 no. Bullshit. If you want to get somewhere in your life, in your career, in your organization, whatever it is. You need to understand – first, you need to understand the role that you play inside of your organization. You need to understand the difference between commissioned and non-commissioned officer. You, You need to understand a lot when we're talking about military stuff, and that is what is going to happen. He breaks down so many different things. What he does is he actually is peeling back layers to explain it. So if you listen, you're going to understand a process, right? What he could easily turn into a book on this, he's basically giving to you. You can listen to it for free, you can go back, you can listen to it again, and then you can go through it. When I say book, because one of the things we talk about is reading. And I want to take just a quick second to explain something. I I get some good feedback on these episodes, and I also get some judgmental feedback, right? And I got some from an O and an E, and I, oh boy, I wanted to go on a rant and everything else, but I won't. And I got some back. And the feedback, I think I talk about it with, uh, with Cognitive Marine in here. I won't even bring it up. But the feedback I got with the E was basically like, hey, you need to get out of the books. You need to get back to the, you know, to the, the application, basically the application side of your job. I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys we're going to have an enlisted conversation. Before I jump on and we start talking with an exceptional individual, let me have an enlisted conversation with you. If you think that your only job is to just hack the mish, you're fucking dumb. You've lost the fucking plot. The next war we fight will need the most well-rounded individuals that we have needed since probably Korea. Maybe World War II. I don't know. We've never really asked us to be what we're going to be next. But we're going to be in a technologically advanced environment that is going to take more thought you're gonna have a lot of guys and gals whether they're in airplanes on ships or on the ground that are actually getting in the mix way more than they did in afghanistan and iraq this shit will be nasty and you need to be prepared think about this if the commissioned officer goes down it's all you i shouldn't be saying anything you don't know educate your mind talk to those individuals around you lead up the chain lead down the chain do all the things you need to do i'm going to finish it off at the end with a couple of things and i want to kind of pass that on to you but now i'm going to shut up and pass it over to cognitive marine this is your chance to learn and maybe he's not as blunt as me but man you talk about actually making ripples he's doing it and you can too just for those who, so I'll just say, I'll say we're starting now that we're rocking and rolling, uh, that I'm going with the cognitive Marine. Um, but for those who didn't, maybe they didn't hear the first episode, but they're now hearing this one. If you kind of want to give them just the, kind of a heads up of who you are. And obviously I've done like a little bit of intro stuff, but kind of give them an idea of who you are. Um, and I think it's relevant to tell them also w- what you're currently doing right now. Like meaning like where you're at as far as career, where you're studying and what this means, if you don't mind to kind of like lead in with that.
1: Sure. Sure. Hey, thanks for having me on once again. Yeah. Uh, love what you do. And um, I know it takes a lot of spare time, but it's it's a good product and people listen. Um, so I'm a lieutenant colonel active duty in the Marine Corps. Been in over 22 years now. And um, my career, you know, like many other people who have served during this time is Span um, most of our wars, and I've done numerous deployments in the in the arms way. Uh, I'm a logistics officer by trade, um, and what I'm doing now is I'm a student at the Naval War College, um, studying um, at the kind of top level school level, and uh, basically getting uh, two master's degrees. Uh, One is part of the Title Ten requirements for. Graduating out of a um, a war college, and then the other specializing in, uh, in my case, maritime history. Uh, both subjects, I, I think, are important um, and germane to development of leaders, whether you're officer enlisted. And uh, some of the stuff that I want to talk to you about is many of the things I've learned thus far. And you know, uh, I make uh, kind of air quotes around that that there is much that i have still yet to learn but uh over the past kind of uh, 10 months thus far it's been amazing to kind of take a knee face outboard board and and learn some stuff about um about you know where the military has been and i'd say military as a as a whole entity whether regardless of service or even nationality and then um Putting it all in the context of my own experiences, which has been a unique process, mm. and uh, uh, actually almost fifteen uh, percent of my academic period thus far has been dedicated to leadership development. Okay, and so um, uh, there there's assumptions that are made about who that hey, this obviously you know how to lead. I've led at the platoon, company, and battalion level, uh, so we probably feel. War College feels like you've got that pretty down pat. We're not going to tell you how to give orders or stuff like that uh but what they are doing here is telling you how to pick up and pick out things events um situations and uh how to how to uh extract the most out of those in, uh, moments and then uh how do you uh reflect on them to kind of better yourself right the next one. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. I'm curious too, because I think it's an important thing, right? To 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 understand this. Even from we were talking before we recorded, and I was telling you, you know, like my you know, growing up, my thoughts on like what the war college did. My grandparents lived near the you know near the Army War College. So obviously I was a little bit exposed to that. Gettysburg, I really love doing all that, right? So, but as an enlisted guy, you know, I'm not gonna go through war college the same as you. Like there's yeah. not, mm-hmm. you know, and I and I was it's funny, I was talking to uh I was actually talking to a Marine Corps officer a couple of years ago about it, and we were talking about the the need right and it's like i need you to be good at this this and this does not require you to go to the war college and we had a you know it was funny like i had a good conversation about it, and i was like well kind of explain to me what you like the overall arch overarching umbrella if you will of the difference in like once you go to war college as can as opposed to before you go to war college which is kind of what you were just touching on also how they're breaking it down like it's, ex- yeah. you know, that kind of stuff and it was really good for me to learn too as an enlisted guy and i think I kind of, you know, just like a 60 second spiel, if you would, for the, for the enlisted guy to maybe understand when their officers come out of, you know, out of a war college, right? When they come out of that level, that tier of a school, obviously, you know, there's a turd in every punch bowl. So it's not, I'm not saying that everybody comes out of a war college or they come out of a senior enlisted school and they're like, perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But for the enlisted guy to understand that transition that happens within the officer's career, so they know how to better Serve them, understand what the purpose of it is, something like that. If that, I, I know that's kind of an odd mm-hmm. question, but like, no,
1: no, it makes sense. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it does. Um, so the best way I could put it is this: the officers that attend the War College um, are basically a. The U.S. officers are a small group, so maybe comprise about thirty to forty percent of the population. The other thirty to forty percent are uh, civilians from everyone from CIA, FBI, NSA, DIA, all the three-letter agencies, Department of Energy. Uh, You name the State Department is a big one here, Um, and uh, oh, I I, I kind of forgot to mention all the services are represented from the Space Force on down, Mm -hmm. from the newest one to the oldest, even the Coast Guard. And then the other kind of uh, 40% of the population or so, 40 to 50% of the population is all international officers. And so um, easily the, in my class, we probably have at least one president, future president of their country, uh, probably two or three vice presidents, maybe 10 senior government officials like prime ministers, um, um, everyone from secretaries of their own governments, of cabinets, cabinet level officials, uh, all the way down to uh, four star admirals and chief of the navies, armies, air forces. Uh, So basically, it's the number one service member out of many of these countries, navies. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm here at the Navy War College, and they're easily the best and brightest. Um, hell, one of my European uh, classmates is a knighted officer. <laughs> That's uh, cool. One of <laughs> uh, he's 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 a no shit knight.
0: Yeah,
1: um, gives new meaning to sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so it's and we got members of royal families here. Um, we got I won't say the country, but we got a, a son. Of a um, of a of a head of state of of a king, and um, he is um, third in line to the throne. His his dad uh, is the uh, is uh, is the king actually, and he is like in the in waiting on a kind of side there.
0: Wow. His
1: brother or his his older brother is the prime minister, but the throne will pass through his brother to him. Wow. Uh to be the king. And we've we've spoken about it. But um it's interesting. So that's the population. Yeah. Uh what what the war college is is a title ten official kind of process where it's board selected. so they take a certain population group of people that are qualified. And there's qualifications like gonna go into all that. The bottom line is they take the population group, it's pretty selective, uh anywhere from eight to depending on the service Mm
2: -hmm. of
1: the eligible population uh, will go to the war college. And this is for the U S side. And then uh, they're spread throughout all the war colleges, army, Navy, air force, uh, Marine Corps. And, um, and you got national defense and Eisenhower uh, war colleges. So, they all do different things, but there's like a core seventy five percent of the curriculum that is mandated by the Department of Defense. So, you've got to learn what Joint is. Got to learn how yeah. Congress and and um, our, our government works uh, from the executive branch, and um, uh, you know every every facet of the government. And then finally, uh, the twenty five percent are kind of what they call electives. And these are things that you get to like specialize in while you're here, and um, and so for me, I'm spending some of my time on uh, maritime history. Figured I'm at the Naval War College to learn yeah, learn about well. uh, maritime stuff. So, and that's exactly <laughs> what's happening, man. Yeah. And uh, a lot of my classmates are doing all kinds of stuff. We we got guys who are experts on war games. Guys who're doing strategic plans. Um, hypersonics, you name it. So um, that's it in a nutshell. I I think um, being a graduate of a war college means something uh, to the unit you're going to. Uh, You know, it doesn't mean a lot to you. I mean, maybe it does to some people. Uh, you know, but I don't see anybody rocking like the the Air Force War College graduate. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, sweatshirt on the uh, on the weekend, yeah. <laughs> you
0: know I
1: mean? like the blue um, college style. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no one's doing that. Say that right now, um, but uh, I think to like I said, it really matters to the unit that you're going to yeah. uh, the next few units um, yeah. because. You build relationships here. Uh, You know something about something. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to be able to be additive and you're not kind of not showing up because some guy assigned you to the unit. You're actually being um, like, hey, we need somebody who can do X, Y, and Z uh, within a certain performance standard and who could execute to this kind of level. That's right. That's what we need. And basically, the... The war colleges kind of put their stamp like, yep, this guy can do that at this level to that performance standard and uh, within this kind of time frame. So, okay. um, but yeah, that's yeah. it in a nutshell. Man.
0: No, I love that. I, I hope that you, uh, that people listening will take that back and process what that means. I do. And I really appreciate that you said that because I think it's important. You can break that down whether you're an enlisted or officer, whether you're a new officer motivated, you want to try to see if you can get there, whether you're an old head and you've already been through it and you're thinking back on it. Like, it doesn't matter. It's like, it's important for people to really grasp what that means. So, but yeah, listen, man, let's jump in. I mean, you know, we, me, have a great chance, you know, sort of talk uh, behind the scenes, obviously a message back and forth. It's really good. Yeah. So I'm excited to kind of get into this, uh, this chat about some leadership mm-hmm. stuff as well. And where you want to take us on this journey?
1: Yeah. So, uh- I basically want to lay out a a a few steps, and uh, I say that there's more than three here, but a few steps for any leader, whether you enlisted, uh, um, you know, airman or soldier or marine, or even sailor, stepping into a, a a billet of responsibility, position of responsibility, or an officer, and I've really been kind of racking my brain as to a lot of the experiences I've had, and um, and and basically understanding the the reasons why I think the way I do
2: Mm.
1: about leadership. And again, uh, as a disclaimer here, you know these thoughts are my own. Uh, No one has like said, "Yep, these are the this is the right way." And obviously, a lot of my my beliefs are based on my own personal experiences, so you know yours are certainly going to be different, and so is damn near everyone else who's listening to this. I think there is some value in my own way of thinking because not only do I believe in it, but i I spread that kind of uh, butter across um, you know a lot of things that i that I consume, and so. Um, starting off is before you, you you take that position that you're stepping into. There's a pretty high chance you know where you're going, the unit you're going to, and the things you're about to generally do as a unit. Uh, if you're going to aviation unit, probably going to be flying around a lot. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I think there's some very basic things that are no-brainers here. And so, given those assumptions, uh, one of the things that I, I tell um, not only I've lived, but uh, I give advice to many others is that uh, you have got to understand uh, before you step into that unit, the left and right lateral limits of, uh, of your organization, all the things that your organization touch, touches. And those are the things that are like the areas of, um, of influence. You know, what, what are the things can your unit physically influence? And what are the things that your unit is personally interested in? You know, maybe they can influence it, but they're they're very interested in whatever it may be. So uh, this this is kind of like a planning thing, and mm-hmm. I I kind of approach this with every unit I'm going to. So this summer I'll be rotating out to another unit. So already I'm actively hunting down all the things that my unit is interested in, and the unit wants to influence and can influence. Um the and so that that gives me a good framework of what is in the realm of possible and um, the opportunity to kind of read up on that, right? That's kind of the next step is uh, I am a, a voracious reader of information, consumer of information. And I, I think if you're, especially if you're enlisted right, because there's so many more numbers of leaders, At the Mm. enlisted level, than there are compared to officers. That if you're not like consuming massive amounts of reports, if you're not studying about your next job, and uh, to me, uh, I appreciate turnover binders. You know, we always kind of have those available, and those are important. But for me, a turnover binder is kind of it's an it, it it's important, but. I make it my job to to show up as ready as possible. That way, the right. turnover binder, whether it's there or not, and if it's good or not, yeah. it'll make no difference, or make a just a small iota of difference as to my perceptions before I show up. That's right. And uh, you, and the reason why this is important is because you need to be in the driver's seat. Uh, the the kind of day one. Now you don't want to be. Um, so uh, so oblivious, obviously, to people's perspectives and the way people um have done their jobs or executed their missions, and this may be an outstanding unit, and they have this thing kind of figured out perfectly uh, and that's certainly possible. but in my own experience, that is almost always not the case, yeah, and uh, the reality is, is that um, for a lot of people, when you show up to an organization, I, I think uh, when I was a junior officer, uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, to be completely honest with you, I was a little intimidated Yeah. because normally I was the one officer. Uh, and then two, uh, I, I always had, you know, being in the Marine Corps, I always had very strong outspoken. Uh, leadership yeah. that wanted to drive their organizations to where they felt the organizations needed to go. And so I surrendered a lot of the things that, especially as a junior officer, I surrendered a lot of the things that I probably now would never do um, because experience has kind of given you a different yeah. perspective. But I, I probably surrendered way too much to my enlisted guys. And it wasn't until later in like the last year I was there that I finally found, you know, my oars and I was able to row the organization in the right direction. But by then it's almost like too late, right?
2: Yeah. Because you're yeah. out
1: of time. Yeah. The way our, our system works is that, you know, a lot of, especially for Marines, you're there two, three years and you're out of the, out of the organization. You're moving on to a different position or even shorter. So this is a um, this is almost like a challenge of the way the system has been designed, and the fact is it's you know I can't get someone unless you're in a special operations unit where you can be in a job for seven, eight, nine years. The chances are that for the rest of the conventional folks, you're going to be in a position for three years or less, and so you got a limited amount of time to make the greatest uh, kind of difference, and. Some of these things are not like some, some of the people who are like listening to this and be like, oh, Jesus, here comes a this, this officer's teaching, telling other officers to basically uh, start swinging the pendulum rapidly left and right. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that you've got to fully understand to the best of your ability, the mm-hmm. organization that you're stepping into. All too often, I, am, uh, I, I come across leaders of all ranks that expect on day one to be told what the job is, how to do it, and kind of what success looks like. And so that can be a a kind of a dangerous thing because what ends up happening is that you're getting someone who's about to leave and actually you're lucky if you get a turnover, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, For a lot of people, they're not going to get a turnover. And then you're trying to figure out who's the good and the bad and the ugly at the organization. And all this is happening all at the same time. And so you're not able to soak in all that information. So what you're getting is this kind of firehose effect while the mission has to be executed. And so um, what, I, what I call this kind of early part of leadership before you show up is the warm start. And you have got to show up. With your engine firing already at a low rpm that way you generally understand what the expectations are who the commanders are all the way up and down the the chain of command and understanding the, the people you serve and whoever that may be whether it's other units whether it's you know the personnel under your charge whatever that is um you've got to have um, it, it can't be just like a Facebook lookup or an Instagram, yeah, that's right. Of like, okay, oh, who is this guy? Let's see if he's got an account, and we'll go from there. Uh, you know, it's it's looking at like uh, what the unit scheduled rotations are. It's uh, looking at the unit's performance. Um, uh, th- there's there's many resources that you can use. Uh, what the history of the unit, you name it, that you can kind of go down and see. Uh, very easily, you know, uh, what does the, um, um, you know, promotion rates of the unit, you know, you know how, how is the unit doing, generally speaking? And then it, it gives you a baseline understanding, a warm start of, of how to approach your next job. Yeah. The the other piece, I think. Can I, is, can I, can I, yeah, I really yeah, quick, yeah, can ahead. I
0: back you up on that real fast? I think yeah. it's important because people will be like, oh, OK, good. Let me let me give something to uh, uh, let me give that 100% like backing there's currently, and I'll, I'll be vague on this just cause obviously I didn't ask him before, but there's a, there's a, an officer who is stepping in and is stepping into an O six billet right now at, at a, at a major command at a MAGCOM level. And this individual is new to, he's going to be new to obviously that command. Right. And he came in about two months ago. He's, He's with us right now doing some training. And then he and then he went down to his magcom and he stepped into a role where he was gonna be dealing with active duty, reserve, and guard. And he was not familiar with all those worlds. And he came in and he was like, Hey, I heard that you used to work pointing at me. He's like, He didn't he didn't know me, right? I'd never met him before. And, but he's like, I heard you used to work with Magcom at, at magcom across all three branches active duty guard reserve and communicating back and forth. And you know, this unit, this unit, this unit, I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I need to buy you a beer. And I need to pick your brain because I need to know what I'm getting into because I don't know this, this, and this. And I don't know him. He's about, to, you know, by now he's in Oh six, but he was getting ready to sew on Oh six. And he knew he was going into something he didn't know. And here he is hundreds of miles away from where he's going to be sitting in an office making command decisions. And he's trying to pick the brain of an E7 who has maybe possibly one sliver of information that can make him a half a percent better. And he's doing exactly what you're saying. And that makes all the difference in the world because Mm -hmm. there's people that will never meet him that he will affect, but he'll know that much more about them before he ever gets there. That's absolutely I cannot tell you how refreshing it is to hear that instead of the guy who gets there that day. And he's like, let's figure it out. I'm like, Hey man, that's I'm enlisted. Like I can just hold my beer. I'll figure it out. I'm that guy. You're not that guy. <laughs> I want you to yeah. be squared the fuck away when you get yeah. here. So I just wanted to back you up on that. Cause I think that's a really important, like that is a gigantic thing that can be overlooked. So I'm really, really glad that that's one of the things you were focused on.
1: Yeah. And, and definitely uh, if you feel that you've shown up to you unit. Know, and, um, you know, it's one thing if you don't know where the heads are at. It's a whole other if you don't know who's in charge and right. uh, up and down the chink. Right. And th- these are all things that uh, certainly you can figure out um, within a few minutes. But it is good to get a, a good baseline understanding. That way you're not showing up cold. Um, kind of stepping into the position. One of my um, one of my approaches here is this is that uh, especially the more senior rank you go, officer or enlisted, um, you you've got to it's less about it's certainly all about the mission. Um, but the higher rank you go, and this is something that maybe a young corporal or sergeant maybe doesn't quite understand yet. Um, you know, I've led an organization that's numbered in the thousands. Um, the the higher rank you go, the more difficult it is to um, to to see like every kind of step of the process because there's so many process. There's so many people between you and the execution of the mission. And then it gets really hard to remember like everybody's name, as an example. Yeah. Like so, so these things that get orders of magnitude. As your organizations get bigger, the dynamics get more and more pronounced. And so, um, so it, for, for a young leader, you know, 30 Marines may be a lot, you know, especially if they were just learning to lead four. You know, as part of the fire team, yourself and three others. So um, e- even for a platoon sergeant or someone who uh, is in charge of a small unit, I think the the, the relevance is are all the same here, and my my next kind of level is here' once you're in the position uh you are about managing people to the mission, right so uh it is always about uh the mission, but people are gonna get the job done, and so you've got to like build this machine that generates wins, and the machine is obviously people here, but I'm using that as an analogy um and the, the hardest thing is, is to also include in your mind, as you look at your organization, as you look at your group of people, that some people, that is totally plausible, that some people are in the jobs that they should be in because of their talents. Other people are in their jobs, and that is not their talent. That is not their expertise. That is not the things they do well. And then other people are basically hanging on by their fingernails because they're un, they're they're under trained they're under resourced they're exhausted and they're, they're that machine is running too high like rpm and then you have like a whole fourth category of people that are holding you back
2: right mm-hmm.
1: and i i think the the people who are leading the organization and doing all the rowing i think those, those there there is a category for that but that is just like a handful of people and On both ends, you got a handful of people that are pulling the organization in one direction. You got the handful of people that are holding the organization back. Mm -hmm. And they are your, you know, what we like to call your bottom 10%, right? You got your top 10, you got your bottom 10. So the thing you need to figure out very quickly is that breakdown. Who is what in that kind of whole smattering of categories there? And maybe you have in your organization and whoever's listening to this, you're gonna have a bunch of other people. So what I recommend that you do, especially in your early days of leadership uh, in your position, is that you have got to meet with every person in your organization. Um, that's a tall order for if you got you know over a thousand uh like like I had so um, whether it, it, whether you can realistically meet with everybody in your organization, that's one thing. But you need to meet a, a meet with as many people as you can in your organization. And I'm like talking like schedule this thing for the first few weeks,
2: where
1: mm-hmm. it's like 30, 45 minutes per individual. And you get face to face time with each individual and find out about, about your organization uh, and listen. And my my my. my process was like okay uh tell me about yourself tell me what you do here at this organization and then uh tell me like three things you think i should improve uh, Mm -hmm. like today like right right like right fucking now yeah and i just go down the list and then uh i usually kept like a notebook and I would copy down as much of these things and you get all kinds of crazy hair brand ideas and you get some like really good ones. Yeah, And then you get like tons of, you know, I'm just happy to be here type thing. thing. Yeah. And uh, what I do after all that and during, during that process is I usually bounce off all the things I've heard with my senior listening guy. And that's always been helpful because it gives me like context to a lot of the things. And uh, um, and one one of the reasons why that's so important is that there is a real chance that you're going to uncover something that is like needs attention right now. You just don't know it. No one knows. Um, and I'll give you an example,
2: uh, and, and I'll you know,
1: I'll make a quick uh, quick uh, take on this example here, but. Long story short, we had a, a a situation in the unit I was I just taken command of, where because uh, Marines would violate the rules, uh, and these are minor infractions, but they happen so frequently that at very early in the morning, or excuse me, late at night, and very late at night, they would do a roll call to make sure everybody was where they were mm-hmm. supposed to be. Uh, well, what ended up happening uh, is that this, like uh, this practice that they would do, especially on the weekends, uh, was causing Marines to lose uh, critical sleep at a critical moment. Um, and barracks' life, uh, you know, as for Marines who lived in the barracks will know, is a hard place to be already. And then the amount of quality of sleep that you can get is like lowered because of everything else that goes on. And then now that the command is doing this thing, all of a sudden, you just dip into everybody's like critical reservoirs. Well, that's what was happening to this, um, to a bunch of young Marines. And so leadership, who was not even like how I found out about this was because, the leaders, uh, the whistle leaders, would all tell me, "Like, hey, sir, on you know Monday through Friday, I get these guys, and they're exhausted because they're getting woken up at night, and it affects what we're doing here." And uh, so, uh, within like two weeks, I um, I changed the order. And I, I actually canceled the order, and. Some of the leaders were like, Hey, sir, the reason why this is in place is because Marines were violating the rules. And I'm like, Well, how many are we talking here? Um, they're like uh, two or three per weekend. And I'm like, Okay, so we're making the 999 suffer mm-hmm. for the two or three. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Yeah. And I'm like, Yeah, no, no, we're that not. Ain't cool. That ain't cool. That ain't cool. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I should well, not want
0: to watch me I, not not pay attention. If all of a sudden I realize, no matter what <laughs> I do, I'm getting punished for everybody else's bullshit.
1: Exactly. And the the other thing that uh, came out of this was 24 hours later, and I swear to God, this is true. Um A you know you've seen these any mouse boxes yeah. where people <laughs> like put you know. People probably putting chewing gum in there. Yeah. yeah. People who were right trying to put their like one recommendation. (laughs) And, And you see these boxes and no one ever checks them, right? Well, we had these and people checked them. And in there was an anonymous letter from a young Marine that said he was days away from killing himself because he had been woken up so many times late at night. That he had gone so many hours without sleep. He was so tired that he felt like he was going to take his own life because mm-hmm. he could imagine trying to go his entire time in this unit with that. Right. So I, I, I tell that story to you because I, I think it's important that you very quickly meet with everybody in your team. And that time, especially at the beginning, is, is costly, especially when you're trying to get your arms wrapped around your job. But you have got to do it because you do not know all the things that are possibly kind of affecting your organization that you need to get your arms wrapped wrapped around. And no leader is perfect, and they may have missed some blinking warning signs. The the, the other thing that I, I recommend as soon as you kind of roll in and you started assuming the role of leader, whatever that is is that you start a diary, uh, kind of like a leadership diary, and it does two things. One, uh, what I recommend uh, you do is that you write down all the important things, all the important decisions that you have made and why you made them. Um, If you think for for any amount of uh, reason that you could possibly remember all the factors that affected your decision making especially when it comes to like key decisions important decisions if you can remember all the environmental factors that drove you to that decision you're like one out of a billion yeah there's there's no way yeah that you can remember all the factors that went into making that decision so i suggest you write it down and then you can also make not only the same decision based off the same reasons but Uh, you make also, uh, you can learn from them, right?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And maybe there was another factor you missed. And now, you know, to ask the question about that specific, uh, incident, whatever it may have been. So I I suggest you start a, a, a journal. The other, the other reason why this is important is for legal reason, especially as, as you get higher in rank. Um, if, uh, well, let's say stuff goes sideways all the time, especially in the military. It's like, mm-hmm. it's what fucking happens, I guess. Yeah, but oh shit. <laughs> you think things happen. And um, there is on occasion, the ability to basically photocopy uh, your notes. And you can prove that, hey, look, I reflected on that decision. I did all that I could to make the right decision. Here's my proof. and Here's mm-hmm. the reasons why I made them. And right. So you have this in case of investigation, especially when it comes to important decisions. You'll know what those are. Even if they're not important decisions, sometimes it's just helpful just to write this stuff down. Absolutely. So th- those are like something I would start at the very beginning um, of, of the process. And you want to like definitely go back. Uh, I, I keep my journals and I've, I have like... Now I'm probably up to nine books worth of journals, yeah. and I I use bullskins. I tell people all the time to use a moleskin notebook. Uh, it's easy to put like in the in the gear and stuff like that. Yeah. pages don't rip out, and they're somewhat water. Uh, I keep little ones
0: everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It fit in your pockets so, easy.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, I tell people to do that all the time. Uh, electronic stuff doesn't work so well, especially within when you're in a SCIF environment or around class yeah. classified information. That just doesn't work to have that kind of thing. So um, that, that's the other piece. Uh, another thing is that kind of going back to those categories of people that are in your organization and trying to figure out who's in what category, especially that bottom 10%. And I'm going to use my words carefully because I fear that they may come back to haunt me. But I think it's important. I put this out there to leaders. Is that you've got to figure out how to cut that dead weight. Absolutely. Like if you want like the, the fastest way to gain altitude in any organization, fastest way, the easiest decision you can make, also the hardest, is to cut the dead weight.
2: That's it. you got to cut drag.
1: I've, um, I had a leader who once told me that uh, a Marine who became a general, a great combat leader, uh, he always used to tell us that small organizations are fast organizations. Absolutely. And, um, you know, having been part of large organizations, I understand, but I also understand that sometimes like that dead weight, man, is just killing me. Now I'm not saying you're gonna go without those people that belong in those positions, but sometimes if you just get, you know, you fire these guys who don't deserve to be there for all kinds of reasons, whether it's legal or otherwise, or morale, or killing morale, or whatever it may be, that you're automatically going to get lift off on your organization, right? Because mm-hmm. you you you're pulling around these sea anchors, and uh, on top of that. Um, you're going to get another factor that's going to become apparent. I, I think there's two factors. One, you're going to get replacements in, right? That's so right. ideally, you get better than what you had. And then number two, you're also going to get the ability to kind of pick possibly, your replacements. And Absolutely. people can be re- rehabilitated. I truly believe that. But Especially when you're talking about people that are in key positions of leadership, Uh, it it is incredibly important that everybody have like trust, faith, and confidence in those people. And if you don't, you got to get rid of these people. Yeah, you got to move them out of your organization. And you know, again, I believe that people, you know, as long as the reasons are correct and legal and moral and ethical, then. Your organization should get immediate liftoff from that. I don't think we do enough of that in the military. And you gotta do this early in your time there. Uh I fired an officer uh within two weeks of taking command. Uh the evidence was abundantly clear that this individual was not performing to the minimum standards. And after an investigation, we got we we cut the sky loose. That was it. And we immediately saw change in this organization. We got a new guy in, a new officer in, who was an outstanding performer, and turned the entire team around and did some amazing things.
0: Well, and and, I gotta follow that up and say, like, you gotta mm-hmm. think too. Like when you fire that person, right? When you fire an officer, you know, it doesn't matter what branch you're in. Everybody, the 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 percentage of officer to enlisted, it's obviously gonna weigh heavily on the enlisted side, typically, you know, for obvious reasons, you know. Um, There's just, there's always going to be more enlisted in an organization than there are officers, unless you're in like a fighter squadron or something like that of aircraft, you know, of aviation. But Mm -hmm. because there'll be somebody that'll be like, well, technically in this organization, I I get it. But like, realistically, that's what it is. When you cut that one loss, that one loss, that equates to a massive turnaround because you don't just hire a new one of those people. You reinvigorate all those people that were held underneath that person that was affected by that person. Right. And so it's like. When you cut one, you may have just exponentially jumped forward. You, if that person was over, I have no idea how many people, but if that person had held sway, held command, held whatever you want to say, leadership ability, uh, over 10 people or 100 people, like you may have just magnified it that much. That's And that's what you can do. So when you when you cut a loss it's not just cutting that loss especially if it's an officer if it's an officer and you cut that loss you you're changing the game for an entire organization or at least an entire section of an organization like that's that's drastic i've been in those organizations where somebody's gotten fired and they got fired and the next day like i can't tell you how much more i saw out of my out of my fellow enlisted right to see mm. like how quickly everybody felt like they could breathe. And as soon as they felt like they could breathe again, they're like, watch what I can do. And it changed everything. It's, yeah, it's drastic.
1: Yeah, no, I, you know, I agree. And um, every situation is different, you know, and uh, I'm not saying you should walk in there and start, um, you know, cutting, <laughs> yeah. cutting people, away. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, but I, I, I truly believe that if, you just if you make it a habit to um, to look at your organization as that machine that needs to operate, and it's not a machine, but it has yeah. got to have basic parts all working together at this kind of same time at the same place. And if you've got broken pieces in there, you either need to fix it or you need to figure out how to get the new part in.
2: That's right. And,
1: and I, I, I don't like looking at or describing in that way, but I can't think of a better way to describe what, how bad, um, terrible people can be in an organization and, and, yeah. uh, how, how rough, um, a bad leadership kind of shows up in organizations. And then we kind of live with this cancer, right? And we've got to, we got to figure out how to cut that out. And a lot of people are, are, are not strong enough to do that. That's right, and so I think it's incredibly important that that bottom ten percent. You either try to rehabilitate them, and if they can't be rehabilitated, you got to get rid of them. They'll live with these uh, with these bad problems. I I can tell you almost assuredly that in a vast majority of situations where you've had like something terrible happen, whatever it may be, something terrible that there's probably an individual who had a bad practice or we all knew that guy was trouble. Yeah. We all knew that guy was trouble. I, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many investigations I've seen where it's been like, we all knew this guy was a problem. No one didn't want, no one wanted to do anything. And then, yeah, it's no, no surprise. This incident happened.
2: Right mm-hmm.
1: And so uh, I think in the age of the all volunteer force, And where people could leave the military for any number of reasons, pay being one of them and morale being another, certainly. Uh, We owe it to all the people that wear the uniform to turn out our best product kind of on your average day. And if, you know, people talk about suicide rates going through the roof and where they're at am I, I, I can't sit here and tell you, having looked at the numbers in pretty depth in depth and familiar with the suicide, not all the cases are tied to like bad leadership. Yeah. but there's certainly instances where people feel that someone is putting so much pressure on them for good or bad reasons. And if you can't like adjust that and make that uh, round peg round hole work a little better, then uh, you've got to figure out how to make changes. And in some cases, this includes firing somebody, you know, in the vast majority, it's like rehabilitating, fixing the problem, getting this thing uh, on the right track. And I, I think you, early on, you've got to address this. If you wait, like it gets harder and harder to do, because now you're learning to live with it. Right. That's right. It becomes not that bad. Always a good dude. Yeah. I know he does this, or I know he's got a problem, I know he's got a drinking problem, but it, his maintenance is always great. I'm like, uh, I don't think so. Like we have got to like we right. owe it to all the people that are living based off of this guy's performance to ensure, uh, you know, he is optimal every day because we're all counting on him. All right, so that that's kind of the that's that bottom 10 percent. I think the other thing you need to do especially as you step into these leadership roles, is that um, as you categorize everyone like I've described, then the other thing you need to do is figure out where are all of your, um, where are all the uh, uh, broken uh, turns in the system, you know, and how does, what does winning look like, Uh, whatever that looks like. So I, I think if you, if you start, Problem solving. Uh, if you start looking at all that your, your process, and I, I know there's like Lean Six, Six, Lean Six Sigma out there, and there's all different types of process efficiencies that people you know have developed over the, over over time. The bottom line is that you need to start deep diving, especially as a leader, into kind of where are all the efficiencies at, and what is broken in our process. Um, I, I give you a great example. Uh, for most Marines, and I'm, I would say most soldiers probably know this, or anyone who has had to draw a weapon, um, the, uh, it's not uncommon for like units who are trying to do a 10 a.m. shoot on a range, having to draw weapons at 3 o'clock in the morning. Because it just takes so freaking long. Withdraw mm-hmm. weapons for an entire unit. That by the time the last man is out, it's like four hours later, right? Five hours yeah. later. So the process is like really tough. Um, I was part of a unit that uh, that realized this, and this was like killing morale, and it was impacting the amount of training time that you could have in a reasonable set amount of uh, period of a day. And it was developing like a really a, a lot of bad habits. So as a, as a simple example, uh, the commander of this unit, I think it was a recommendation from one of the young enlisted Marines, was that they just made a whole ton of issue, uh, custodians that could issue weapons. So instead of like four people that were issuing weapons, it would be like 30 that would be issuing yeah. weapons, right? And so this, pro- this process was done within an hour. I even went to another unit where uh, they would issue the weapons the day before, park all the vehicles loaded with all the weapon systems inside the fence of the armory, uh, because there was a duty there anyways, yeah. and uh, they would be ready to go in the morning. So when everybody showed up, you're just mounting up, make sure everything's good to go, and you'd roll out.
2: Yeah. And
1: the efficiencies went like through the roof. Um you, you cannot. Uh, you, um, you know, because a lot, a lot of families are like struggling. You know, you've got uh, kids that need to go to daycare early in the morning, and the dad sometimes, he wakes up early, is the one who's dropping the kid off, right? And then, and now that he's got to go to the field, that one day he's already got to be early at three o'clock in the morning at the unit drawing weapons, and he's not able to support his his family just for some stupid reason because there's only four people that can issue weapons and we're going to be here for eight fucking hours just just waiting until everyone in the unit gets a weapon
2: yeah
1: so there's like efficiencies in the system that you need to look at and uh you need to empower which is the next kind of step in that efficiency your people to make the changes and uh, i'll get into that in a second but um and analyzing kind of like how your unit operates and what is kind of the next step is what does right look like will allow you to figure out uh, basically, how are you achieving your goals and what is your process for getting there, right? And uh, kind of going back to that um, that earlier uh, uh, thing I, I mentioned, which is efficiencies. Now, the the process for what right looks like I think is so important because um but I've been a part of units that because what right looks like if it's if it's good enough uh you know as they say it's good enough for a, a government job you know that that standard starts lowering and lowering and lowering. That's right. And then over time and then eventually you know what ends up happening is that you uh, you arbitrarily lower the standard of the unit, and all of a sudden, readiness or you name the factor, what's available for for missions on any particular day is is lower for no reason other than because this, the the no one knows what 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 victory looks like for for your particular organization or right looks like for your particular organization. And then not only that, but what um, uh, uh, you you haven't analyzed all the efficiencies. There may be some additional layers of uh, processes that are unnecessary that are in there for for no reason, for no good reason. And so I think as leaders, um, we need to come in with a a fresh set of eyes, look at not only what, what right looks like for your organization, but the efficiencies. And then um, uh, uh, have enough confidence and faith and trust in your people, especially early on. And this is important that they can make those that you can. They can be empowered to make the decisions necessary to make the changes Mm -hmm. at the time and place that they choose. And I think uh, one of my mantras, uh, as part of um, as a leader, uh, multiple times at multiple uh, different size organizations. Is that you don't want the, the most senior guy of the organization, and in my case, the battalion commander, you don't want the battalion commander to making a decision that, that, um, that a lieutenant could have made. Mm-hmm. And what I used to tell my, my guys and what I will continue to live by is that you don't want my version of what is right. Because I, I, I don't walk in your, in your boots, man. That's I don't right. wear your rank. I don't carry your burdens. That's right. And if I have trust in you, then I should have trust in you enough to make the kind of decisions to achieve victory. And I I should have faith in you that you'll make those right decisions. And only through that iterative process will you learn to make better decisions because, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I didn't like them. But also you learn to raise your game, right, In in this entire kind of evolution. And the prop, that OODA loop that observe, orient, decide, and act, that OODA loop gets, turns get faster and faster and faster. And before you know it, you got young Marines making incredible decisions at a, an incredibly fast pace. And uh, people feel regardless of where you sit at the problem, people feel that they can fix these problems
2: uh, at right.
1: their level. and. What I especially like is when younger leaders are making decisions that maybe is one step above them, maybe a little too high for them, but they're making that decision because they have confidence that this is the decision their leader would take, right? That's right. And that's what you want is people making those turns faster. Yeah. And all of a sudden you start finding what I call, you know, some people may call efficiencies. But what I call the hidden movements, and the hidden movements are everything in a in a, in a in an organization of people. Um, when all this starts firing on all its cylinders, uh, you begin finding more time, and that's really what uh, kind of is the kind of final piece of this puzzle here is that once you start making all these efficiencies. You start making faster and better decisions. You're cutting away all the the fat in the organization. And now you know what victory looks like. And now you can play along with that kind of range of victory. Okay. Maybe we're not throttling up to 100% every single day. Uh, We know what uh, right looks like, and we can achieve that mission. uh, And we can live within this kind of range based off of a whole different number of factors, whether it's like the holidays. Uh, people can take leave now. Mm-hmm. People can take care of the families or themselves. Like now, you got like time, right? So you got like time and space to, to maneuver with. I think there's a final factor here, and this is the thing I kind of want to leave the listeners with: is that in that sp- in that final like third of space that you've now you've gained efficiencies, and now you're operating in. Uh, there's a whole realm of. Learning that should be occurring in order to kind of feed back into the loop, into the system. And that is what the cognitive marine, that's why the cognitive is in the cognitive marine, is all about. And that is fully understanding your organization to a point where you can now like take massive leaps in your organization that's forward. Right. Uh, whether that is sending uh, Marines or soldiers or airmen or whatever the service to like higher end training that will give you even more capabilities, uh, whether it is like uh, I've made it my my mission in life to learn everything that I can about my job. And now that I've like I've found all the hidden movements in it, now I feel way more confident in stepping further and further on the periphery of my kind of expertise. So one of the like I'll give you a great example, um, the forging concept is was born out of that kind of uh contemplative process. Um, additive manufacturing, like what are all the yeah. cutting edge tools and techniques and technologies that you can bring into the system? You can't have any of those fucking thoughts if your ass is like being held back by the bottom 10%, if That's you haven't right. made efficiencies to the process and you don't even know what the fuck the right looks like for your for your unit. That's right. Like you're not you shouldn't your ass shouldn't be having any of those goddamn thoughts unless you are in that place. And right. once you are there, then you can start exploring um all of these kind of the, the learning process that is building back into the system. So uh I think through that you give people life and purpose. And uh, there's not a job out there that I can, you know, even imagine where could that that it could not benefit from that kind of three kind of separate systems of looking at the way you approach an organization. Um, I think if we did more of these uh, 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 approaches to leadership, especially as a you know, instead of just telling people I, you should just be a better leader or, yeah. or um, you know, give it 110%, 110%, or whatever the kind of shit I hear all the time. No, man, uh, there's gotta be a process to uh, approaching key leadership positions. And this is what has worked for me. Um, I made it kind of my life's mission to look at my organization in this kind of way. And uh, as I've gotten more revolutions at it in kind of real life, it has enabled me to, especially in the third bin, uh, kind of learning on the kind of periphery, studying history or studying new and emerging technologies and getting more comfortable with things that are kind of the outer edges. Uh, it, is, it is basically given me a leg up in my leadership because now um, I'm able to kind of lead at the very cutting edge. That's
2: right. And
1: when you're living at that like cutting edge of the of the blade um then uh yeah i think that's a that's a special organization Uh, and i'm not saying that i've executed all of this perfectly over time i think there is all kind of factors that will you know rob you of opportunity and time Um, but i think if you have that structure uh, of those three things that before you show up to the unit, when you're at the unit, and then while you're at the unit, once you've found all these efficiencies and done all those other things, then you're starting to uh, build a better machine That's that really. is generating wins um, kind of for everybody. And I think that is like your families included are going to benefit from a machine that uh, is operating so efficiently. And is looking at better ways and better processes. That now you know, especially if you're Kona based, you're getting better training. You're getting better quality of life. Uh, people are feeling better about going to work because you know, you know, life you know life is worth more. You know, in an organization that is led at many levels, all doing that kind of same thing. Absolutely, I couldn't agree yeah. more. Yeah, and so. Um, you know lastly, you know I, I'll leave you with this kind of this for college uh, experience. Uh, I've been able to review uh, kind of every step of the process that I've described to you at multiple levels uh, while I've been here over the last uh, ten months or so. What's interesting is that um, there are different versions of this kind of truth that are out there. Uh, one of the one of the things i I'll, I'll throw at you is the SpaceX has done a, as we all know, has done a great job at like changing the game, right? Yeah. Uh, uh Jen Shotwell, the leader CEO of, um, uh, the president of SpaceX, excuse me. Uh, she has done, uh, a pretty incredible job at like, uh, iterating very fast, right? Breaking things and then figuring out how to do stuff better and then kind of pressing the metal forward. And not only that, but chasing after kind of Elon Musk's, you know, kind of grand ideas. And uh, what's really interesting is that the things that now we're taking launches for granted, right? Like, no, who who watches a fucking SpaceX launch like anymore? Unless it's like this latest one where it's the biggest rocket, right? No one's, no one's doing that anymore because they've made the seemingly impossible, not just possible, but boring, right?
2: Yeah, it's crazy.
1: and it's, it's a, it must be a great place to be at where now you've, you've been able to do that. I apply some of these many, like, why can't we have that kind of uh, environment at our own units? That's right. And, um, you know, obviously, we're not fucking SpaceX and we're not going to go out there and blow up rockets. But what we can do is take a good hard look at everything that, that we do. And make people empowered to make the changes they can. And if you're a leader here who's got responsibility, uh, legal responsibility, then you should feel comfortable delegating that down to those that are um, in need of uh, making better and faster changes. Because no one wants to know that 30 days from now, as soon as they can take two minutes to make. Is we're all going to sit around and, and suffer through this because we got to brief the boss, you know that's right. like if 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 generally the leadership is comfortable with it and they should be comfortable with the fact that they have faith in us to make those kind of decisions, I believe totally that um, a process like that uh, will not only achieve victory on the next battlefield, but we're going to be in a situation facing our peer competitor in the Indo-Pacific where we can't wait to make decisions at the, the pace of some brief, uh, you know, once a week or whatever, maybe that's correct. We've got to make sure people feel empowered, uh, especially downrange, uh, to, to make decisions faster and better.
0: That's exactly right. I'll give you something. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, I'll leave a challenge to you for yeah. this. I know we will, uh, we're running out of runway here as far as time because somebody that I know in this conversation, you, has a ton of work ahead of you, even tonight. So, I'll but I but I'll I'll kind of leave you with this challenge too. You know, I look back on my career and I think of it, and and if I really broke it down, and I said, okay, not like the most memorable thing of this deployment or that, this or or anything else, it was in garrison. In garrison as an E6, as a squadron commander was about to take over as an operations group commander. So imagine like O fives going to the 06 billet kind of, con. you know, I, based on every branch are a little bit different. So squadron commander to group commander for the Air Force. This individual, I walked in and I had an idea and I said, hey, sir, I want to spend some of your money. Uh, I want to go out and do all this training. I have a really good idea. I'll get you an answer soon. I just want you to say yes without knowing what it is. And I could tell he was like, wanted to murder me. Like, why are you even here right now? What's going on? But he could see that like, I actually had like a real idea in my brain. And I took that real idea and I gave that to some smarter people that were, you know, like higher enlisted ranks and was like, Hey, do you think we can do this? Yeah, I think we can. Cool. And then we got the right O's on board, but it was, it was me as an E6. And I look at that and I think that was the most important. It was the most crucial moment of my entire career. Was I had an idea. I thought it was real. I thought it was actually something that could benefit the unit. And he empowered me to go with it. It wasn't me that came up with everything. I immediately turned that over and it was a bunch of us. E7s, O3s, O4s that came up with a plan. And as a unit, we did a massive exercise. Fast forward two years later. Well, really it was like a year and a half later. Fast forward a year and a half later, we were in Syria doing exactly those things. I wasn't smart enough to come up with all the training scenarios, but the nugget of the idea, he let me use it. That changed my entire trajectory of my entire career. That was the moment that I started to believe in myself. That was real. That was because we'd done all those kind of things that you're talking about. So we had the point we had time because I wasn't, I walked into an amazing organization. They'd figured out those things. We had time. And I actually was like able to have time and then gave that to them. And then they Never. turned it into something that conquered it changed my career forever. And I don't believe I have the same career. I believe I just go through the motions through a lot of it. If it wasn't for that one moment. And that's, yeah. that, that's what you're getting at. And so I think for the listeners that are, you know, I think they need to hear that from the enlisted side, but also from like from the officer side, from the commander side, whatever you want to say, they need to understand how important what you're like what you're giving them something they need to go back and take notes on over and over and over again. And at the end of the day, what happens is that finished product of somebody like me walking into an office with a random idea that you give just a split second of like, yeah, go ahead, try it. And that's it. But that doesn't happen if you don't actually do all the things you're talking about and you actually put focus in on them and you really try to develop them. Like that's how that's how you get what you what you're what you're after, yeah. what you're seeking, and what and what you're trying to do in your career and how you're trying to develop the people around you and that's important. Right. So like I challenge you to maybe be ready for the E6 who walks in randomly at your new unit and says, Hey, sir, I got an idea. You never know. Right. Like, yeah, it, it yeah. could <laughs> be that thing. That really could be it. So, but it doesn't yeah. happen if you don't do all those other things you were talking about, sir. So, um, yeah,
1: exactly. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll throw out there, you know, I, uh, I got to meet the commandant a few times and, um, he once, um, asked me, and he's asked me the same question multiple times, or almost every time I met him. Uh, he's asked me, what uh, what would you do to fix something at your unit? And uh, you know, so I would respond. And then he would tell me, um, the next question would be, uh, if you were king for a day, what would you do to fix it? Like, what would be your plan to fix that problem that you just threw out there at And I told him, this is what I would do. And then he would say, Well, why aren't you doing it? Mm. And very little problems uh, that, as I've learned, that he hears require anybody other than the person describing the problem. They're usually like internal problems. Very little problems would require his involvement or someone in between him and the problem. That's right. Uh, and, And many, a lot of them a lot of problems are just like self-inflicted gunshot wounds. That's right. They, they're they they're because we've been, this is the way we've been doing things for whatever reason.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is like, uh, you know, you know, we, 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 no one's taking that step to change it. And That's we right. become habits of uh, habits of thought and action uh, in a bad way. Not, not the good version of that statement. But anyways, yeah, I just wanted to leave you with that. And, uh, obviously I know we'll talk more times, uh, between and whatever, but, um, I'm going to leave it at that. And I'll give you the final word, man.
0: No, I think the final word will actually, I'll, I'll give it as a, um, I'll give it as a challenge to the listeners. You guys listen to this, do some think and do some dwelling, come up with something and, and, the next time that Cognitive Marine comes on the podcast, maybe we make it about whatever it is that the listeners reached out to. So whichever listener, officer enlisted, it doesn't matter what rank you are. I don't even care. You just send it in. Talk to the people at Lethal Minds and come up with the next conversation that me and Cognitive Marine dives into. I think that would be a hell of a challenge to the listeners. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. All yeah. right. I'll catch you next time.
0: All right, man. Take it easy. Appreciate you. Take care. You got Have it. a good one, sir.
1: All right. Goodbye. There you go.
0: A Power Hour with Cognitive Marine. Second round. I have three things for you that I want to finish on right here, now that the episode is done. Okay? First, when I talk about reading, and and actually, I want to talk about listening. During that conversation, there was so many things that we were breaking down, that we were talking about, and that I was trying to listen to. That I had my pen and paper, but then I realized, like, if I'm taking notes, I'm not going to be a good host. I'm not actually going to pull out these things and give them back to you, right? So for me, I got to go back, and this is an advantage of being the host, is I got to go back after that and listen again and pull some things out and extract stuff that I can then apply, right? And some of these things I already got to. So as I'm sitting here with you guys, I recorded last night, uh, and then now I'm doing this. But in between there, I went in and did my, air quotes, day job. So that set, uh, set me up to have a conversation with some officers, senior officers, junior officers, and senior enlisted today. And these were well-rounded discussions that didn't have to do basically at all with the tactical or technical uh, approach to my job. This was conversation about how we develop people and how we develop our organization during strategic shifts that lead to the next war. Right? And some of the things and some of the ways and some of the mannerisms uh and the and, and the communication that I had last night with Cognitive Marine as I woke up this morning and I was doing stuff and I was listening back to to what actually was recorded, I was able to take some of that and immediately apply it and add this in. And that's what it's all about. Understand not just don't don't just listen. Understand what you are listening to find you need to be able to find things inside of that and extract them and be able to then apply them not just regurgitate them but apply them so that's the first thing I want to give you the second thing I want to say is when it comes to reading i believe that fiction is amazing i love fiction i will be when i retire i will be writing short stories and novels and all kinds of stuff and nobody's probably going to buy them But my plan is to sell them at the local dive bar, wherever I sit and have my drinks and talk about the good old days. Pretty excited about it. Not really talking about the good old days, just the writing and drinking. But the honest answer is you need to develop yourself all the way around. And so I give you this example. When I went to staff, I was given 19 stars and partners in command. Partners in command uh, is uh, by Mark Perry, 19 stars is Edgar per, uh, per year. And I took these books and I read them and they were the first thing that I really, first time I paid attention to the fact that I was going to be working on staff and I really had to start to understand officers, senior officers and general uh, officers at a different level in a different context. It was the first time I had to do it. It was a struggle. It took me a while and now I do it daily. Now I am consistently speaking to uh, 06 and 07s and my dialogue with them has to be completely different. And so a lot of that comes from books. A lot of that comes from studying strategy. It comes from reading about past wars and history. It comes from reading about officers. This may bore you, right? I can tell you right now the books I don't want to read, the There I Was in Combat books. I don't want to read that shit. But I do want to know how they think, the senior officers, so I can better serve them. And that matters. That's important the third thing I'm going to say is you got to prepare yourself for the fight you fear the most, which again goes back to those things. And you have to do this with intention. For me, what scares me the most, if I'm truth, if I'm uh, I'm giving you the truth, if I'm being completely honest, I will tell you my greatest fear, my greatest military fear. It's not actually me being in. It's me retiring. And a few years later, politicians send us to war. And once we're there, we do what we do best. But my biggest fear is that those I know that I've flown with in the next fight, when it's really dangerous, my biggest fear is they're not prepared. And I watch on the news as they die. And I'm not a part of the fight, and I'm helpless. And I get phone calls about people that I know. If you're air crew, you need to be studying tactics. You need to be studying history. You need to be learning about warfare in areas we could go to. If you're on the ground, same thing. If you're on a ship, same thing. If you're a radio operator, if you're cyber, I don't care what you do, whatever it is, you need to prepare for that. So prepare yourself for the fight you fear the most and do it with intention. The only other thing I'll say is, I don't know, go find at least one book that you believe in and offer that up to somebody else. Gift them a book. That's all I got. Cheers.